Chapter 3 of Percy Wynn or Making a Boy of Him. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Percy Wynn or Making a Boy of Him by Francis J. Finn. Chapter 3 In Which Percy Has a Strange Midnight Adventure. At half past five next morning, the washroom of the junior students literally swarmed with boys, while their number was constantly swelled by fresh additions from the dormitory. There was no talking in the room, but the clatter of basins, the splash and ripple and gurgle of water, the sibilant noise of many brushes, and, like a refrain, the hurried movement to and fro of little lads in all the various stages of incomplete toilette gave the apartment an air of animation and crowded life which, to an uninitiated onlooker, was really refreshing. As Percy descended the stairs of the dormitory, the sight certainly struck him with a sense of novelty. Boys pulling on coats, boys taking them off, boys bearing their arms, boys blacking their shoes, boys brushing their clothes, boys combing their hair, boys lathering their heads till their figures looked like so many overgrown snowballs mounted on live moving legs, boys, 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 in every conceivable attitude, made up a scene which charged with life vigorous with bustling variety. In matters of toilette, Percy was perfectly at home. So, without hesitation or inquiry, he filled his basin and acquitted himself of his ablutions with the neatness and precision of an expert. But when it came to arranging his tie, he glanced around the washroom till finally he espied Tom. "'Good morning, Tom,' he said, addressing that young gentleman, who was making energetic endeavors to get some injudiciously applied soap out of his eye. "'Why, you are a perfect fright. You don't know how to comb your hair at all. Let me fix it.' There was a titter among the boys in the immediate vicinity and Tom, having rid himself of the soap, laughingly handed over his comb and brush to Percy. "'Your hair doesn't look nice when you comb it flat, Tom. I'll make it a little puffy. I am sure it will improve your appearance wonderfully. Hold your head still, you naughty boy. There, now it's done, and you'll look ever so much improved. But look here, Tom, you've got on that same tie I noticed yesterday. The idea of wearing a blue tie on a blue shirt. Why, they don't set each other off at all. Let me see.' He stood off a few feet from Tom and examined him critically. "'Oh, yes, yellow goes well with blue, and I have a beautiful golden tie, which I'm going to give you.' "'Percy,' said Mr. Middleton. Percy turned and found the prefect beside him with his finger to his lips. "'Oh, excuse me, Mr. Middleton, I really beg your pardon. I just wished to fix Tom up a little. I forgot all about silence. I won't speak loud any more.' Tripping over to the washbox, he quickly returned with a beautiful golden tie, which, with a few dexterous folds, he tied into what is popularly called, I believe, a butterfly. This bewitching decoration added a new and unusual grace to Tom's naturally pleasing appearance. There, whispered Percy with the enthusiasm of an artist, you look ever so much improved. Now fix my tie. I'm afraid it's not in my line, Tom answered modestly. Don't you know how to fix a tie? I thought everybody knew that. I never had any sisters to teach me, suggested Tom. Oh, so you didn't. Well, it doesn't matter. I'll get Mr. Middleton to do it. He's so nice. Before Tom could remonstrate or otherwise express his astonishment, Percy calmly walked over to Mr. Middleton, who was standing at the end of the room besides the dormitory steps. "'Mr. Middleton, will you kindly fix on my tie? I'm not used to doing it myself. Sister Mary always did it. I asked Tom to help me, but he doesn't know how.' The prefect smiled at his unusual request, and, accepting the tie, arranged it to the best of his ability, while Percy, in his polite way, took it entirely as a matter of course. "'Many thanks, Mr. Middleton. I don't think I'll have to trouble you again.' for I intend to teach Tom how to do it today. And with his peculiar bow, Percy left the washroom. Mass and studies before breakfast passed away without incident worthy of notice. During the holy sacrifice, Percy impressed those near him with his modesty and reverence. He had a richly bound class prayer book, which he evidently knew how to use. After breakfast, he called Tom, Harry, Willie, and Joe to accompany him to the trunk room. 
I've got something for each of you, he said, smiling gaily, as they entered the precincts of the clothes keeper. From his trunk, he produced a perfumed box, and opening it, revealed to their glances of admiration a number of pretty silk handkerchiefs. Take your choice, he said. Nonsense, protested Tom. We're not brigands. Keep them yourself, Percy. But Percy so lost countenance at this refusal, and protested so earnestly that nothing would please him more than their each accepting one, that Tom, Harry, Willie, and Joe were fain at length to yield. Nor was Percy yet satisfied. He insisted on instructing each of them how and where to carry his gift, and when all, after due direction, stood before him with the least little tip of handkerchief just peeping over their breast pockets, he clapped his hands. But Tom put an end to these proceedings. "'Now it's my turn, Percy. Come to the yard, and I'll teach you a trick or two. To the yard they went in a body. Now, Tom remarked a moment later, spread your legs just the least little bit so as to make yourself steady, and bend your head till your tin touches your chest. Percy complied. Now be sure to stand steady or you'll tumble. What are you going to do, Tom? By way of answer, Tom, bracing himself lightly on Percy's shoulders, leaped clean over him, much to that young gentleman's astonishment, who, after having recovered his partially lost balance, anxiously asked Tom whether he was hurt. Bosh, said Tom, you can do it yourself. Oh, dear, no! But you can try. "'I'd be sure to fall on my head and dirty my clothes, and besides,' laughed Percy, venturing on a joke, "'I might spill out all my ideas.' "'Oh, go on,' urged Harry Quip. "'Joe and I will stand on the other side and be ready to catch you if you fall.' Tom had already, to use the technical expression of the small boy, made a back for him. "'Oh, I can't,' said Percy. "'It's too high. "'Well, I'll stoop lower, then.' And Tom, bringing his arms below his knees and clasping his hands, doubled himself up. "'That looks easier,' said Percy. Compressing his lips and summoning all his resolution, Percy drew off some fifty feet. Then, at a great run, he cleared Tom's back without, as he had anticipated, spilling his ideas. "'Oh, that's glorious!' he cried. "'Let me try it again.' The experiment was repeated over and over until Percy, who had rarely indulged in exercise more violent than fast walking, was completely out of breath. But he was proud of his success, and the sympathetic encouragements which his playfellows evinced so added to his happiness that, while his countenance was flushed from the exhilarating exercise, it beamed also with the double happiness of being pleased and of pleasing. Leapfrog came upon him like a revelation. It opened new and undeveloped possibilities in his life. "'Is that the kind of games boys have?' he asked when he had recovered breath sufficiently to speak. "'Oh, that's nothing extra,' said Joe White. "'It's nothing at all to some games.' "'You ought to see foot and a half,' said Willie. "'Or Bombay,' added Harry Quip. "'And baseball,' Tom chimed in, "'is better than all of them put together.' "'You don't say. "'Well, I declare. "'You astonish me,' said Percy. "'And now I'm glad I'm a boy.' "'That's sensible,' said Tom. "'And the older you get, the gladder you'll be.' Tom had decided views on this point. Presently, Percy was called away by the Prefect of Studies to be examined. On his return, Tom and Harry were delighted at learning that he was to be their classmate. They were both in the second academic, a class in which Greek is begun and Latin continued from the preceding year. During class that morning, Percy listened with great attention. The Viri Rome, which he vainly tried to make out, as the boys translated and parsed it line by line, troubled him not a little. Towards the end of class, he said aloud, Mr. Middleton, don't you think that the study of Latin is attended with considerable difficulties for a beginner? The boys were too astounded to laugh. It is hard at first, admitted the professor with a smile. There's a proverb, you know, which says, Knowledge makes a bloody entrance. Still, the more you learn of it, the more you will like it, and the easier, too, it will become. Thank you, sir, said Percy. I believe what you say, though it has never struck me that way before. I know it's true in English studies. The more I read, the more I love to read. Oh, Mr. Middleton, won't you please tell us a story? Percy spoke as he would have spoken to his mother or sisters. 
not a little to his astonishment then was this sudden unlooked-for request was greeted with a general burst of laughter mr middleton smiled and put the question by in requesting one of the students to parse the fourth line of the lesson charlie richards was a member of the class and his attention and contempt were strongly roused by the singular remarks of the newcomer what a silly innocent that fellow is he reflected he must have been tied to his mother's apron string i think we can get some fun out of him richards course of thinking was not in vain at recess he held a whispered consultation with peters we'll scare the wits out of him said richards when he had fully developed his plot oh it'll be great fun chuckled peters rubbing his skinny hands together i'll fix a your face so you look like an awful ghost i'll put red paint about your eyes and blacken the rest of your face so that you'll just frighten him into fits for a long time did these two weigh and consider the plans for their vile practical joke their innocent victim meanwhile was adding to his stock of experiences things to him altogether new in the recreation hour after dinner tom produced a baseball see that percy oh what a hard ball cried percy touching it in a gingerly way well you've got to learn to catch it i no indeed it's just like a rock my poor little fingers would be ruined and then tom i wouldn't be able to play the piano hello can you play the piano yes indeed i just love it and i can sing too why you know everything i don't know and don't know anything i do percy laughed my sisters taught me he said as he shook back his sunny locks did they teach you to say yes indeedy no indeedy queried tom slyly oh la how you do notice things indeedy isn't good grammar i know it's worse yet said tom it's girlish you don't tell me cried percy his blue eyes opening to their widest now i know why everybody laughs when i say it thank you tom ever so much i'll stop using it but what about this ball you must learn to catch it catch that ball i as lift catch a cannonball oh no indeed that is he said catching himself that is indeed i won't oh it's not so hard said tom here i'll make it easy for you and show you how it's done too take the ball and walk off about twenty paces from me and then throw it as hard as you can at me and see me catch it but you mustn't be put out if i hurt you pleaded percy as he took a stand at the assigned distance i'll take all risks said tom in great glee percy with the ball in his right hand made a feint of throwing it don't balk said tom throw it as hard as ever you can if it's too swift here tom was obliged to pause that he might suppress a laugh i'll dodge it there was no necessity for dodging however percy whirled his arm round and round and at length let the ball fly from his hand he trembled for the consequences not indeed without reason the ball instead of going towards tom went some thirty or forty feet wide of him or he a giant he could not have covered so much ground and seemed to be making straight for the head of john donnell who with his hands in his pockets was evincing the deepest interest in the progress of a game of handball look out john roared tom duck your head the warning came just in time by a quick movement john succeeded in receiving the ball on the back of his head instead of in the face well i never he said rubbing the injured park as he spoke a piercing startling scream broke upon his ears it was from percy oh poor boy he cried running over to john tears of sympathy standing in his eyes i must have hurt you very much but upon my honour i didn't mean it sir indeed i didn't did i tom oh sir please tell me you're not seriously hurt really and truly i'm awfully mortified if the ball had surprised john this sympathetic and eager address coming from the lips of a dainty little lad whom he had never met before astounded him oh i'm dreadfully hurt he said with mock solemnity i suppose somebody will have to carry me over to the infirmary oh la dearie me wailed percy poor boy tom and i will carry you anywhere you wish tom you catch his feet and i'll take his head
Oh, sir, only say you'll forgive me. And Percy was on the point of crying. Why, you little goose, you don't mean to say you honestly think I'm hurt, laughed the great second baseman of the small yard, as he perceived that Percy was taking him seriously. I'm not hurt a bit. Of course I forgive you. And whenever you feel particularly inclined to amuse yourself, you can come and throw your ball at me again. Then there'd be no danger of your being it, said Tom gravely. He won't hit the fellow he's aiming at. It's the other fellow. Percy, relieved of his fears, joined in the laugh. "'Won't you introduce me?' suggested Percy. "'Certainly. John Donnell, this is Percy Wynn.' The bow and the polite little speech were gone through in Percy's best form. John was amused and charmed. Not only was he the largest boy in the yard, he was also the most genial. So well established was the kindness of his disposition that he was styled the little boy's friend. He readily divined Tom's ideas with regard to making a boy a real boy of Percy, and in pursuance of this he set to work actively at showing Percy how to use his arm in throwing. A half-hour's practice, and under the dexterous tuition of Tom and John, Percy succeeded in so directing the ball's path as to make it comparatively safe for the prudent bystander. "'That's enough for today,' said Tom at length. "'Tomorrow your arm will be stiff a little, but you needn't mind that. It's always that way, till you get used to it.' The reader, who is doubtless a boy, a real boy, must have felt, in reading these pages, that Percy has said and done some very foolish things. Our little hero's judgment, with regard to jumping, ball-tossing, and schoolboy life in general, must have appeared ridiculous even to the intelligence of a lad of seven. But imagine a man, say a fine musician, who, born blind and living in darkness for long, long years, has on a sudden his sight restored to him. As a musician he would appear as rational as ever, but as a gazer on the wonders of the earth and starry sky he would be as an infant, more carried away than a little toddler of five attending the Christmas pantomime for the first time. One unacquainted with his previous condition would take him for a madman. Percy's case is somewhat similar. He was bright, clever, accomplished in matters where most young students are in utter darkness, but in practical knowledge of boys and boy life he was little more than an infant. Everything about him was a subject of fear or of wonder, of dismay or of delight, and so the day passed pleasantly through. Night came, and Percy, thoroughly wearied from his unwanted exercise, fell into a profound slumber almost as soon as his head touched the pillow. He had been sleeping for nearly two hours, when he was partially awakened by someone touching his feet. Turning restlessly on his side, he was again about to drift into dreamland when a low, blood-curdling groan brought him to his full senses. Raising his head on his arm, he looked about him. Just at the foot of the bed, a terrible figure met his view, sheeted form draped in white. The eyes of the figure were hideous. Some sort of a dim light playing about its face revealed the horrid black features. Have any of you, my dear reader, ever seen a face under the influence of utter terror? The starting eyeballs, the open mouth, the ashen pale countenance? Have you ever heard the wild shriek of horror from the lips of one thoroughly terrified? Richards, the ghost, expected all these things, and as Percy sat upright in bed gave another blood-curdling groan, a clear silvery laugh was heard. Could his ears deceive him? Was the timid girlish victim actually laughing? He groaned again. <laughs> oh my, it's as good as the circus, so what a guy! Percy Wynne, seated in his bed, was laughing most merrily, and clapping his hands in unaffected glee. But the disturbance awoke several nearby, among them Harry Quip, whose bed was beside Percy's. Now Harry was by no means so impressed with the fun of the thing as his merry little neighbor. He perceived at once that some brutal fellow had been trying to frighten Percy. Without ceremony, he jumped from his bed, seized the ghost, who, by the way, contrary to the tradition of all ghosts, was most thoroughly frightened of the company, and with a vigorous grasp brought his ghost ship to the floor. Although Charlie Richard had arranged himself with exceeding care for his assumed 
character and even made such preparations as would enable him to slip back into his bed ere percy's scream of horror should have died away he had certainly not taken into consideration the possibility of being locked down in such event a lighted candle placed in the headdress so as to throw a dismal glare upon the ghostly features is a decided inconvenience as the boy came violently to the floor he gave a howl of pain and terror help help he shouted i'm on fire his statement appeared to be true the sheet was burning at once the dormitory one moment before all buried in silence awoke to a scene of wild confusion everyone was awake everyone was in motion get some water wake mr middleton get a priest fire fire such and a thousand other like exclamations came from all sides one timid little lad ran to the nearest window and began calling wildly for the police forgetting in his bewilderment that st mars village was a quarter of a mile distant and the only policeman it could boast was now a good old man snug in bed many fell upon their knees others still more panic-stricken made a mad rush for the stair beside the door opening on the staircase was mr middleton's bed he was a sound sleeper but very luckily for the limbs if not the lives of those who were attempting to escape he woke and sprang from his bed just in time to confront the foremost of the wild rush mr middleton took in the situation at once he was a humane man and rarely acted in haste but on this occasion there was time neither for thought nor explanation with a violent shove he spent the nearest fugitive sprawling on the floor back he shouted commandingly back every one of you the panic was reversed all turned and fled from the door and mr middleton who had perceived the poor ghost's predicament snatched up a blanket and hastened down the central aisle but tom playfair had anticipated him rushing forward with all his bedclothes he threw himself on the luckless ghost and with such energy did he give himself to the work that he no longer extinguished the incipient flames but also was within a little of suffocating the object of his zeal Richard's hair was badly singed, and part of his face scorched. Still wrapped in Tom's bedclothes, he was literally bundled over to the infirmary. Order was soon restored. Sleep, so kindly to youth, quickly reasserted her power, and the remaining hours of the night passed as quietly as though all the ghosts of the earth had been laid forever. End of chapter 3